seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have me, Sacred Stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother... Welcome, friends, to episode 202 of Color of Magic, a magic gaming podcast where we talk about all types of issues that affect gamers at and away from their gaming tables and computers. I am your host, Daquan Watson, and for 202 episodes, still got my main man getting ready for football season, Brian Allen. How's it going, dude? Oh, yeah. You you know, football season in Texas. It's basically our true religion. (laughs) Dude, I'm already, I had to like go into my calendar and bookmark all my times for my fantasy football drafts and like getting ready. Already watching the bad preseason football, you know, like. Hey, then, uh, John Harwood says, you don't talk about preseason football. All you guys in the media, you don't understand. Bro, stop. It's bad. It. It's bad football. Let's be honest. It's a lot of bad, but you're trying to find people that can make the cut. You're trying to figure out who's yeah. going to make the team or not. So there's going to be some bad football. It's important to them to be certain. Yeah. Like you said, somebody's got, and then of course, you know, we're coming up on what Dennis Green reminded us, the third game of the preseason. Nobody treats the third game of the preseason. If you, if by the way, if y'all have never seen that, I don't care if you even like football. Look up Dennis Green coaching Grant. It is one of the funniest things you will ever watch. Dude, the they are who we thought they were. Right. That, yeah, just, that, yeah, that's all time. That's like, all time. Even if you don't, like, my wife is, you know, basically watches football because I watch it. Even she, like, every time that comes on, like, yeah, don't you dare change the channel. We got this. Yeah, we've he's, it a thousand times, but it's great. That's one of my top ones. One of the other ones, too, is Mike Gundy. The, uh, yeah. OU coach from or, uh, or Oklahoma State coach from, yeah. from like, oh my gosh, it might have been right around 2000, 02, something like that. Somebody tried to attack some of his players and he's like, attack me. I'm a man. I'm 40. You know, like just starts ranting for no good. Like just goes off. So like, yeah, that's a good one too. But oh man, we got a lot to cover in the show. We're going to have some, uh, you know, this is one of those ones before we get into it. I do want to tell people there will be a topic we're going to cover that we, I don't know how we're going to phrase some of the stuff. It may be a little adults in nature. So just kind of want to give people fair warning on that. That's not till further in the show. We'll let you know before we, we start in on it. But before we get to the rest of the show, we got to pay some love to our sponsor over at CoolStuffInc.com. If you want to pick up any nerd stuff, go check them out. Doesn't have to be just magic stuff. They have a bunch of different things over there. And you can save 5% on your order if you just use code DRAGON at checkout. So you get to support us and you get to save some money. So go check them out over at CoolStuffInc.com. Also, if you want to support the show, you can go over to Patreon.com slash ColorMagic, which we super appreciate. Every little bit does help us out so very much. And you can get a shout out just like Carlton Parsons for being a member. So thank you so much. And if you want to get some merch, go over to ColorOfMTG.com slash shop. All right. Let's start on these rants, because there's a couple of things here in the soapbox. Now, this is almost like a two-part rant. The first is, man, the bots are out of control on social media. Like, and And I knew this, right? But they are getting so sophisticated that people are already aware that how we interact with bots... So they're now making bots to offset some of those impressions or opinions you have of bots. And, and what I mean by that is, if you're on social media, let's say let's say YouTube and the YouTube comments, 
people are programming bots to go into comments one after another and respond to each other. So they have a small communication chain that looks like viewers talking to each other, leaving comments. But if you look at the details and how it's written, you can tell it's not humans actually speaking. It's just their program so they don't get banned as quickly, I guess. Hello there, friend. <laughs> yeah, or like I one of them a comment about some says, oh, yeah, well, I, I looked at so-and-so's page and they had this thing instead. And then a third one will come on and be like, oh, that's cool. I didn't know that that page existed. And then the first one obviously respond like, oh, yeah, you can get there by going to this link or whatever, you know, that sort of thing. So it looks like somebody's going, oh, did you hear about this? And the person, no, I didn't know about it. Like, oh, well, you can go here and go get it, right? So if you're looking at it quickly, it looks like three people talking, but it's really just those bots communicating with each other and nobody else. Same thing I ran into on Twitter slash X or whatever we're calling it this week. It's now to the point that you it's already been a thing. Like if you say like, oh, I where'd you get that shirt design or whatever? Like there are bots that will literally go to a site, pop that shirt onto a design and then like leave a post like, oh, you could get it here, right? Real sophistication already happening at this point. But now we have people like what in the example for myself, as I was thinking about redoing a couple of websites, it's like, hey, do I have anybody in my mutuals that does websites or website design or knows somebody? And I usually do that first because I'd like to reach out and give support to people that support me before just going to a random spot. I knew I was going to bring some bot activity. That's just how it works at this point. But on Twitter, and I don't know why I'm refusing to call it X, but it's still Twitter in my heart. You know, because X is stupid. <laughs> yeah, probably, like but it's it's still Twitter. Their hell, their URL still says Twitter if you click on stuff. But now there are, I don't even know what you would call them. I mean, bots for sure. I guess accounts that will just recommend another account. So it looks like when that, or like the second account comes in, that they're coming in because like, oh yeah, I've worked with this person before and whatever, right? So example, I posted a thing saying, hey, I need some help. Do you know anybody? One of them responds with, oh, you should use at so-and-so because they worked on a site for me and it was great. And then at so-and-so shows up and basically says like, oh, thanks for the recommendation. Yeah, if you want some help, you can send me a DM with the details or whatever. Obviously all automated. You can tell from the way it's worded and whatever. But if you click on any of the histories or go to the the actual accounts, that's what all one of the accounts is doing. It's literally just trolling around, finding where people mention websites or whatever, and then just tagging the other account. There's literally no actual original activity on the other account. So, so much of this is going on. So just to be expected, just know that if you put that, that's why a lot of times if you see us post online and people will like put hyphens between each letter or they'll word it really weird or they put gaps in spaces that don't make a lot of sense. It's literally just to keep the bots from scraping your things and just blocking out some of that activity. Hell on Facebook, some of them just go straight to your account. And if you have like an email address, link, they're just sending you emails like, Hey, saw your thing on Facebook. Here's our business and blah, blah, blah. It's all automated. So you know, it's not even a real person. And some of these, they don't know anything about your channel. They don't even mention that we do gaming stuff, anything like that. Like, so, you know, it's just bots sending stuff. It's super annoying. But the second part of that is there are some real people that get caught in the wash. And the thing you have to understand is if you are in any of these things where you work on Twitch stuff for people, you make YouTube banners, 
doing website development, t-shirt design, whatever, any of the things that you know accounts are scraping for in your niche. Understand that people are already going to be mentally in the mode to block things, right? They're already going, nope, blocking that, deleting that, whatever. So you have to go out of your way to make yourself appear like the actual person you are. And what I mean is I, because even before I blocked everything, I checked all the things, because some of them might be real people. But there were some that were actual humans that just responded with like, hey, how's it going? And that's how they opened the conversation. Right. Or saw you needed help with the website. Not like, hey, I've worked on these things or, hey, cool, I follow you already because of whatever. I'd love to work on a website with you. None of that. Right. Like show that, you know, the person, make it personable, make yourself stand out. Because to be honest, I would at least from the ones I could identify that came through, I at least gave every one of those people a conversation and a chance. All the people who didn't gotten don't even have the opportunity to have my business and i've talked to other people and it's in the same thing so like do your best to make yourself stand out make your initial contact personal to the person you're responding to or the company whatever you will get way more gigs that way all right i'm gonna pass it on to you because i think yours might be a little more interesting than mine was All right, I just uh, want to celebrate Blue Beetle, which has been just a big surprise at the box office so far. Actually, uh, actually knocked off Barbie to become the number one movie at, at theaters right now, and it's just it. I mean, you talk about DC slash Warner Brothers needed a win big time, and so far it's like this really is going to be that, and even better, it's a primarily Latino cast. It's uh, just. A true success story is a great win for diversity. Uh, if, uh, if anybody's seen Cobra Kai, which is if you have it and you like Karate Kid at all, definitely check that out. But yeah, the main uh, or one of the main characters on Cobra Kai, Zola Maraduena, plays uh, plays Blue Beetle, and this is really becoming kind of a, a, a Cobra Kai. He was already becoming a, a pretty well known star. This is you know once you become a superhero, you're a, a huge star. Doors start opening for you, you know, unless you're the Flash. <laughs> but yeah, this is this is something we, as I said, DC needed it. They also needed it because, as uh, we mentioned before, Batgirl was going to, to come out and have a Latina in the lead, and they just decided for whatever reason that Batgirl wasn't good enough. Decided to kill it, do a tax write off on it. So yeah, this is things could have gone an entirely different way for Blue. Blue Beetle was basically kind of set up to fail. The DC universe, this version of the DC Cinematic Universe is kind of coming to an end with this movie. It's coming on the tail of Flash, which was a colossal bomb. There, this could have been a huge flop and nobody would have, you know, it would have even been anybody connected with this movie's fault. But instead, look, it's going to actually be a huge summer success story coming in at a time when it's really, you know, the, the this is kind of the, the doldrums where, okay, yeah, summer movie season's kind of over. And it's not Christmas yet, so but this is this huge. It's, all the reviews have been really positive, celebrating uh, Zolo's performance and George Lopez is in it. Also, I think he's uh, George Lopez is his uncle, and you know George Lopez always crushes it. I hear people saying they want to see a spinoff, you know, with Uncle Rudy. Apparently, you know, I will say this: like I'm gonna cross my fingers for them that it keeps making money. 
because we, you know, earlier we looked it up, like it only cost them a hundred. I say only, but you know, it's a superhero movie. Yeah, for superhero movies, a hundred million is almost nothing. Yeah. So like that's do they're halfway there already to just break even, right? They they already are 50 million. And that's only after a weekend, basically. So if you can keep doing some reasonable portion of this, get it to at least 150 million. So you get a decent profit on a hundred million dollar movie. Hopefully there's more Blue Beetle in the future. You know, that's that's kind of where where we gotta aim right now. Like it doesn't need to be a two, three, four hundred million dollar movie. We just gotta get it reasonably profitable so they at least go all right maybe there's enough here that we need to do another one of these and uh james gunn who is kind of taking over the dc cinematic universe now i mean he's been very been uh praising it a lot so hopefully he seems like he likes it seems to like the character and the actor so again fingers crossed they, they again have done an incredible job here's a lot of good easter eggs apparently for people that have played the injustice uh, superhero theme fighting games he apparently actually does a few of his combos from injustice so, so that, that's awesome the other thing i will say too here is that you kind of need this to do well because part of their plan at least of what they rolled out last year or whatever they were talking about it involves a lot of B and C list DC characters, right? So you kind of need this one to work to set the groundwork for people being okay watching movies about characters they don't know that much about. And I mean, so, maybe that's what they need to do because they have been, it's been hit or miss with Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. So maybe what we need is to focus on characters again. How many times do we need to see Bruce Wayne on his knees in Crime Alley with the oh, Wayne yeah. family getting killed? We, if we've seen that once, kudos to the last Batman movie for not doing the origin story again. <laughs> well, dude, that's what I said about Spider-Man. Like, I don't need to see the whole thing with, like, Gwen Stacy and blah, blah, whatever, all over again. Like, just no, let's move on, right? We've yeah. seen it, like, three times. Yeah. Let's just do another version. But, yeah, this is interesting because I know they have, like, Booster Gold coming down the pipe. There's the authority there's a few different things that people that aren't full-time comic book readers aren't going to know about. So it's cool. They took a chance on blue beetle and seems like people are responding. So hopefully keep it up. Definitely. But let's get in some other fun stuff. I guess less than fun. stuff. things that we learned, because one of these things is actually a little bit sad if you're a fan, but some interesting things nonetheless. So what you got? Yeah, this kind of break into today. Well, today, as we're taping this, it'll be a couple of days by the time you've heard it. But uh, Terry Funk, wrestling legend, not just a wrestling legend, actually. He did a lot of stuff with film also as one of the first actors to kind of really get involved in big budget movies. Became a Sylvester Lowe became kind of a friend and a fan. As a matter of fact, Terry Funk, actually, if you've ever seen Rocky Five, where him and Tommy Gunn have this big knockdown drag out a literal street fight in the streets of Philadelphia. Terry Funk actually choreographed that scene. Makes sense. I mean, he's been in a lot of actual fights. Yeah. So. And, and if you look at it, I mean, obviously the, the wrestling influence, I think there's actually even a suplex in the scene. It's very, you know, kind of a wrestling theme because let's face it, that's kind of Rocky's audience is, you know, 18 to slash 45 year old male. Hey, like to see people get beat up basically. But Terry Funk was not only a great wrestler, somebody that did, that's part of how he was able to become an actor. He's just somebody that did great interviews, told incredible stories, and I mean, basically had a 50-year career in pro wrestling. There's wrestlers that don't live to be 50 years old. 
because of the things that they put their body through. I mean, his last match was, I think, uh, was like 2017. <laughs> he really. Well, yeah, and he was, I guess, right around 80 years old now. Yeah. So, I mean, you're talking about he wrestled up until about 70, 75 years old or so. Which is crazy. mind-boggling. Yeah. Because as I said, so many of the wrestlers that we grew up watching don't even make it to, in some cases, 50, 55 years old. So he just, you're probably never going to see anybody have a career like Terry Funk again. You could argue, we were talking about this uh, before the show, like maybe you shouldn't see anybody do some of the things to their body. Because, I mean, Terry Funk did barbed wire death matches, C4 exploding matches, all kinds of just... Honestly, because of just what we know now, as far as the dangers, the head trauma, the life expectancy of pro wrestlers, that sort of thing, a large chunk of what he did in his career, we won't ever see again. Right. Like, it's just not possible. Even the way they're trained to even take, like, headshots and stuff now is just different. So, yeah, just from a different era, man. Definitely. Born, I think they said, in 44. And so... Had his gotten to pro wrestling in 65, and then he was effectively active for the next, what's that, 50 years? Yeah. <laughs> There's a great line on Monday Night Raw, and he was about to do one of his insane moonsaults, and JR says, I'm telling you, King, Terry Funk is middle-aged and crazy. And King says, what do you mean middle-aged? Terry Funk is 56 years old. How many 114-year-old people do you know, <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But, dude, to be real, Terry Funk's looked old since he was, like, 40. That That is true. He just has one of those faces where I don't know that I've ever seen a picture of Terry Funk where I can say, yeah, he looked really young there. You know who else was like that? I know we're getting deep cut here in wrestling, but Jake the Snake. Uh, yeah. He always looked older, too. Like, even when I was younger, I thought Jake the Snake was old. And he I was at that time, go, he was, like, 35 or something. Going outside of wrestling, that you were going to say Morgan Freeman? Because you ain't ever seen a picture of Morgan Freeman where he looked young. Hell, didn't Morgan Freeman only even get into movies when he was already older? So I think we've only known an old Morgan Freeman. <laughs> well, I mean, he started because he got to start the electric company. You know, he was Easy Reader. And that was, I want to say, 1976, 1977. Yeah, even okay, back then, he looked really old. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. He's just one of those actors you've never seen a picture of Morgan Freeman where he looked young. Or at least, at least I haven't. Yeah, he's always kind of had that look about him. Had that voice. We'll, we'll call it distinguished look about him. <laughs> picture Morgan Freeman sitting there as a baby, probably having that same. And then, <laughs> then look, she looks like model. And, looks like Benjamin Button, but it never kicked in. Right. <laughs> no, that's a dude, another guy that's like just gonna go down as just a wild career, man. The like all the different roles he's had and all the voiceover stuff and Man, it, they always do that thing where they'll say, like, hey, here's a picture of Morgan Freeman. Now you're going to imagine this whole stupid paragraph being read in yep. Morgan Freeman's voice. <laughs> That's no matter how real. stupid the words in it are. Uh, well, mine, and as it turns out, I discovered that a lot of people did not know a thing. I was one of them. That, I had no idea. That I thought a lot of people already knew. I Because I, when I learned it, which was a while ago, but maybe about. 10, 15 years ago, I thought even then I was late to the party. But you can actually set your other fruits, if you get them where they're slightly underripe or whatever, sit them in a fruit bowl on top of or next to your bananas, 
and they will actually help ripen other fruit. And a lot of people didn't know that, but it's because as the bananas brown, they convert, I believe, ethanol into ethene, uh, E-T-H-E-N-E, and that chemical actually helps ripen the other fruit that are in the bowl with it. And it's such a weird thing. And I think when I discovered it was by accident, which is how I started asking people, I was like, well, that was weird. These were underripe like three or four days ago. And now they're like nearly perfect. So I was like, oh, yeah, you have bananas sitting next to them. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, oh, you didn't know? And I was like, no. And then so then I started looking online and like, oh, yeah, it's an actual thing. So I just assume like, oh, and they said it. So matter of fact, I'm like, oh, I guess I just didn't know this was something. They've been watching Martha Stewart probably. or Rachel Yeah, maybe. Ray, right. But then it turns out a lot of people didn't know. So there you go. If you ever get like those underripe pears or avocados or whatever that are just almost there, but not quite, sit them next to your bananas and that'll help take care of your problem. Usually it takes like three-ish days, I think, in my experience. But there you go. Something people didn't know. Bet you didn't think you were going to learn that listening to us today. You got a food fact that actually helped you ripen your fruit. There you go. But. That gives us time to get into some other news, which uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff to cover today. Now, one of the things we've been asking since they got MTG Arena was finding some way to encourage people to go to local stores that also involves Arena. And there's a whole bunch of different ideas that people have pitched and talked about. But it looks like Wizards is at least going to test the first iteration of this. So during the month of September... You can earn extra arena XP for four events that you play in your local store. So the first four events you play, you'll get 1,000 XP for each. So you can get 4,000 extra experience in arena by playing in your local store. Now, I will admit, XP in and of itself isn't like the greatest reward, right? I think it would be okay for Wizards to go ahead and say, you know what? Let's just make it 1,000 gold. So basically, you play your local store event. And you get on Arena, you can get a booster pack. And that feels like at least a reasonable something, right? It's not like it costs Wizards a bunch of money. It doesn't break their bottom line. And if it encourages people to go to stores, they're going to make their money anyway, right? And you get more people selling singles and more people participating long-term and being more invested in Magic. So we all win if it happens. So even if we figured a booster pack or, I don't know, 10 gems or whatever you want to do, has some cost to Wizards, it'd really just be like an advertising or marketing cost to get people to go to the local stores. If you time it right, I guess, with the, it's uh, not a battle pass, what do you call it? What, what yeah, is the mastery name? pass. There you go. It essentially is a battle pass, but I couldn't remember exactly what they called it. But I mean, if you time that right, like let's say it's the end of the month, you know you're probably not going to play very many more games. And hey, you're a, let's say, I don't know how much XP it is, but let's say you're 200 XP away from a pack. Hey, just put that code in and there you go. That's true. If you're down to your last couple, 4,000 could finish it off. So that's something, too. And it doesn't seem like it's tied to any particular type of event. It's just a matter of your local store using the new tournament software that's tied to the Magic Companion app, which most WPN stores are doing that at this point anyway. So that's a no-brainer. The only thing Wizard says is it's el- you're eligible through September 1st to the 30th, so the whole month. You can play four events to get a total of 4,000 XP. Your account has to be the same email address. So whatever you use for anything in the store event for your MTG uh, companion app has to be the same address you're using for your arena account, which for most of us, that will be the same. But if for some reason you're using two different email addresses, 
you need to sign up. Make sure it's the same thing for your your arena account. RIP DCI number. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's long gone. But your arena account also has to be set up before you go play in the events. So if you go to like a pre-release in a couple of weeks, and then you hear people talking about, oh yeah, I'm going to get a thousand XP on arena or whatever, and you're like, oh, I should set up an arena account when I get home. You will not get credit for that pre-release you played in. You will have to go to four other events throughout the month. So just make sure you have all that done ahead of time. And then it says the XP you'll just get through Arena. Uh, It just says periodically throughout the month of September into the first week of October. So my guess is they're just going to batch launch them. So they'll probably let a weekend go by or something. And then Monday or Tuesday the next week, they'll likely just hit a button and everybody whose name or account or whatever shows up as having played an event will just have a thousand XP show up in their arena account. So I don't know. How do you feel about this, Brian? I, mean, I, I think that this is pre- pretty cool. Seems like I, I'm excited to see what the numbers are when they find how many people actually turn these in. See, I'm glad you said that because that's kind of where I'm at, but I'm a little, I don't know what the word is here. Concerned that maybe they're going to look at these results and they're not going to be the best indicator of people's want for this because the XP isn't that appealing. Right? And I don't think the XP, like, again, it's a test thing. I get it. But I, like I said, I think if you made it a thousand gold, because basically a thousand gold is a booster pack. So effectively, you could even run the promotion as. Play in your local store, get a booster pack on Magic Arena. Right? That sounds better and has more of a cachet to it or whatever to get people to go, oh, man, I can get some free packs in Arena if I just go play, I don't know, Commander Night or pre-release or whatever at my local store. Like, that seems cool. Especially if they've already set the precedent, you know, that how many times the start of a set where they here put this code in and you get, what is it, three or four packs? I forget how many. Yeah, it's three packs. Yeah, so, like, so they've already kind of... No, I'm with you. Giving somebody a pack doesn't cost anything. It doesn't, it's not meaningless, but it's at least people care about packs, right? Getting new cards, opening pack, whatever, that has more value than experience, which is largely nebulous to people that don't play that much arena. Hell, even to people that do play arena, you kind of just go like, oh yeah, cool. I got a new mastery orb I can go put in a thing. Maybe get a cosmetic, right? We're not really tracking XP. However, people are paying attention to their gold, their gems, and booster packs. So either a 1,000 gold or even like 10 gems or something or whatever, like give them something a little more meaningful so it has more impact. I think this is still a good start. Don't be wrong. I think you got to test something somewhere. And this is a good start. And but now I, we've said it so much over the past couple of minutes, I just don't think I like the term mastery pass. It sounds kind of bland in comparison to both of the other games that have some form of a battle pass. Yeah, I think I'm kind of just desensitized as a whole. I just everybody's got something. <laughs> like but but I am with you though. I it, you could if you if you don't have to necessarily even use that terminology, if you just use a thing that people already know. And then maybe that's it, right? Because if it's hard to communicate sometimes mastery pass. Yeah. But it's easy to communicate booster pack. So just say, hey, Planeswalker Pass. What about Planeswalker Pass? Anything like that? Maybe. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, like I said, I think th- I like the idea better of just saying, play an event, get a free booster on Arena. 
And obviously, they don't have to even give you the boost. They give you a thousand gold. You spend it on a booster or whatever if you want to. But it's still the heart of the promotion that people hear the words and it's easy to make the connection. I think here, it's a little nebulous, like you're saying, mastery pass, experience. Eh, it's a little hard to get your head around to that being a motivating factor. So I hope either A, they don't hold to just these results being a thing they will or won't do again in the future, or even try to test something different each month. So like maybe it's October or November, they say, okay, well, this time we're going to make it gold. And then maybe in February, we're going to make it 10 gems per whatever. And then look at the results of each and then figure out which one was the best and then just make that the thing going forward. I think that would be the way to really do this. So we don't know where it's going to go, but I think this is a really good first step. We've been saying, hey, you don't have to make... Because honestly, for those of you who don't know, in the magic and game retailer space, the online versions of games are oftentimes looked at like the enemy because they're taking people potentially away from your player pool and moving them online or taking away the need for them to come visit you. So a lot of stores don't encourage, promote, talk about, whatever, the digital component of a lot of the games. Whereas if you do something like this, you're at least saying like, hey, each time you go to your local store, you get this thing online. Hell, to be honest, now that I'm thinking about it, we don't even need a cap. Like, why does the cap matter? You know what I mean? Like, if somebody goes to 10 events this month and they want to get 10,000 experience, why not let them? They still, like, if an average visit, even if you just show up to play Commander, it's probably going to be like three hours on a Friday night or something. At that point, they've invested 30 hours of still playing Magic. So why not just let them get 30 hours worth of rewards? Who cares? You know what I mean? Like, does it really matter if you give them 5,000 or 6,000 more experience during the course of the month if they were still playing Magic? Uh, like you said, maybe they'll get some numbers in and maybe they'll reach the same conclusion. Yeah, because that's the goal, right? Just get people to play more Magic, whether it's paper or digital. But just keep them in your ecosystem, supporting the local stores, like, just keep that activity going. And if, honestly, if some people thought they were, and I'm using air quotes nobody can see here, but, like, getting over on Wizards by going to the local store and then they're getting all this experience on Arena or whatever, like, great. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, let them feel like they're getting away with a little something. Like, who cares? Like, they're supporting your local stores with your basically your business partners, and then they're still going to go online and play some Arena because now you've given them all this experience to cash in. So, yeah, like... Take the caps off and go for it. But either way, like I said, it's a cool thing. Neat that they're at least starting it. And I'll be interested to see where it goes because I don't think we really know at this point. But yeah, let's talk about something else that's caused a little bit of a stir. Now, I don't know if you saw all the discourse, Brian, going on on social media over the last few days because Wizards has creators now announcing that they got some of the creator badges or some people who got approved for the, uh, what do we call it, the New Horizons grant to go to some of these events. And there's been a lot of people that have been, I, as they would say in the South, full of piss and vinegar. <laughs> you know, like they've just been super angry and wanting to take out their negativity on some of these creators 
because they wanted to celebrate that they were selected for one of these opportunities. And one, anytime you do that, it's always misguided, right? Like you, you're being mad at somebody for a thing they really had no control over. Yeah, everybody can't get to go. It's just a, just a, the the math of it, basically. Yeah, and to your point, I saw a couple people say like, "Well, I don't know why don't they just give a badge to all the creators?" And like, I didn't want to start the discussion online and just get in a thing out because I have to argue for three hours, but. That doesn't even make sense. Like, cause then you, okay. Like what constitutes being a creator? How long in advance do they have to put content up? Do they have to have a certain number of pieces before you say they've posted enough to even qualify? Plus and you're going to it, a building. It doesn't have infinite space. <laughs> well, yeah, but like at that point, does everybody in the area go, well, we've got a Vegas event coming up. Everybody within three hours of Vegas. Hey, go set up a YouTube page, go post on Twitter a bunch or whatever. So you can get a badge and don't have to pay to get in or what, you know what I mean? It just becomes like a weird thing. So that doesn't really make sense. Like there there has to be a line or a marker. Same thing with the ambassador program, right? There's seen people that were getting attacked just for being happy they were selected and being part of it. And the issue there is, like I said, one, they don't have a say in who's selected or not. So being mad at them because they got picked is stupid. They They didn't have a way to influence that decision. The other is... We don't know what the back-end goals were for each of these things, right? They might want to see certain size creators get in or get or not this time and see if it makes a difference for attendance, maybe if it changes their reach or social numbers, what the reaction is online, but whatever, right? There could be a lot of things they're looking for to measure. And that sometimes is going to require different people and different groups and sizes and whatever being invited to these events. But the other part of that for me, which was a big issue, is if Wizards would have just picked every known or big creator or whatever that applied and they're the only ones that got them, what would everybody say? How come Wizards have never given the small people an opportunity? Because we've seen that before. And then when they do, the argument becomes, well, they're not even that big. They don't have that many followers. This person does more. Why didn't they get picked? Right. So it's like it's a no win situation. But if you want to be mad, be mad at Wizards. Don't shoot the messenger. Right? Celebrate that, hey, at least they gave you a shot. Because for some of these people, this might be their one time. This might be their only opportunity. And you want them to not celebrate it or not be happy about it? That's dumb. It is. Like, it's so weird. I don't understand why that's even a thing right now. It's the same people who would come and be like, oh, man, you must be on the out with Wizards because they didn't they didn't give you a preview card this time. Like, I've been doing content now for three and a half, four years. And I've done, what, three previews, I think. Maybe four. But in that time, 12, 13, hell, more than that, because they had some of those in-between sets that got previews. So I don't know. We'll call it 16 sets plus have come out. I've barely been involved in 25%, probably less than that. I'm going to call it 20% or less. That doesn't mean Wizards hates me. Just other people are getting opportunities. I don't lose sleep over it. But it's weird that we're assigning all this, like, I don't know, importance or... Hell, what's worse is seeing some other creators almost put their self-worth and if they got selected or not. 
Yeah, that's just unhealthy. <laughs> yeah, like that doesn't mean anything. Like you told it, me, it's something, it's a corporate decision that you have essentially no control over. You can't, you just can't get, like you say, you can't tie yourself worth to it or else you're, it's going to be, <laughs> it's going to be sad times for you. Now, if Wizards came forward and said, particularly, we are looking for the best this thing and the best this thing and the largest audience for here and whoever can generate the most whatevers and then you didn't make it then you could at least say all right i came up short on these things and this is why i didn't get it like at that point you are legitly not good enough based on these metrics it doesn't mean you're terrible it just means like okay here's the new bar i have to get to if i want to be selected but even without that we have nothing to measure anything on. And if you look at some of the people both, like some people are very small creators, some are fairly new, some are older. Hell, honestly, in some cases, Wizards might just want a variety of people at different events. I mean, I know I didn't get selected for not Vegas, but a different event. And I was told specifically like, hey, we're still going to invite you to some in the future. Just right now, we're trying to rotate some different people through so the locals get to see different creators. I'm like, yeah, cool. Like, I wasn't even upset about it. I was like, I was just checking in to make sure I didn't have to, like, schedule flights or something. (laughs) You know? Like, it's all good. It doesn't mean my relationship with that company or people has changed. It doesn't mean they dislike me. It's just they just have different goals right now. And I do not fit into that particular goal. That is totally okay. Nobody is in the wrong with that. You know what I mean? So I don't... It's tough to see people get so upset. And I... And I think what leads to some people being so upset about it is the reaction of everybody saying, oh, well, you don't deserve it or this person should have got it or blah, blah. So then it just creates this whole ugly situation left to right. Because if you didn't get it, well, now you feel bad because everybody feels those more deserving got it. But then you have the other group of people that when you did get it, they feel you don't deserve to have it because the people they wanted to get it didn't get it. And at the end of the day, people seem like they're just mad because either them or the people they like didn't get a thing. Almost doesn't matter what the criteria are. And that's a terrible way to be. And if you are going to be that way, please do not attack the people who got the reward. Because that that's just... You're just pointing, pointing the anger in the wrong direction. Like, they're trying to make it just like your favorite creators are. Don't put people in that spot. Yeah, we're all in theory supposed to be here because we kind of like magic. Exactly. They're doing the same thing you were doing or at least want to aspire to be the size or the reach that your favorite creators are. And they're using this as an opportunity. And let's be fair here, too. It's not like they're giving us the farm to go to Vegas. They're giving you a free pass for the weekend. And it's not like it's the VIP pass. You're getting like the $60 pass for the weekend. So it's not even like, How do I put this without sounding like just a complete jerk? I would say if you're in a situation where $60 is the biggest determining factor on you going to or not going to an event, you probably don't need to be at the event. You probably need to be putting your money toward other things. And I say that being the guy who's run a store and at one stretch, we even did just to like do a fun promotion and make things accessible for people. 
we did $3 F&Ms and still had prizes and gave away some promos and other stuff or whatever to still make it worth it for people. And I had people that were scraping together $3 sometimes to come play on a Friday. And I had multiple people. I looked straight in the, I took them aside politely, but I looked them dead in the eye and said, look, if it's hard for you to come up with $3, I don't want you to play my event tonight. Go put that away. Go get something else with it. What if you got to get food or whatever? Like, don't be scraping together pennies to come play my events. And I feel the same way here. If your goal is to be a full-time creator and, you know, you're trying to make it or whatever, and $60 is what's stopping you from doing a full weekend to where you are that mad about it, you probably don't need to be going to the event. And I know that sounds harsh. And I know it's like, who am I to say how people should spend their money, whatever. Hey, you're welcome to still do it. I just know from personal experience, going through things, having to make money stretch or whatever, there's a lot of tough decisions that have to be made. And if I had to make that decision, I wouldn't be going. Hell, even with the free badge, if the money's not going to be comfortable, I'm not going. Like, can I get a few extra opportunities, do some networking, whatever? Like, yeah, sure. But I could probably do a lot of that if I kept that other, hell, I don't know, $500 worth of flights and four or $500 worth of hotel rooms. Like, an, Let's call it $1,000 for some people, right? I could still do a lot more with that $1,000 probably than I would even do being there. Now, because I already have some people, have some things established, I will be doing a lot of other things and getting footage and making content, whatever. But yeah, it's something you really got to think about. But don't put yourself worth in it and don't be attacking other people. Like nobody's going to win out of that. But let's uh, change speeds a little bit here and talk about some Baldur's Gate 3. So, I don't know if you heard about Baldur's Gate 3 yet, Brian, but it's got some crazy good reviews. Definitely. And I tried it out a couple days ago, and I think the reviews are warranted. It's pretty good. Now, I will say this. The things... Well, I said, there are two issues we'll, we'll dive into here in a second. But the minor... I, I will say the gripes I have all feel minor. And it feels like these are some things that they somewhere in development made a decision of like, hey, budget says we can do these things or these things. And a couple of the small quality of life things just got cut out. And I'm okay with that because it doesn't affect the overall gameplay experience. It doesn't affect the replayability of the game. It's got still kept all the relevant things to make the game good. But there's stuff like I've talked about where it would have been nice to be able to make a character and then when you're ready to play with your friends, you can just port the character into the game even if it just locks to the game at that point, but you can't really make a character until you have everybody in your game that's going to play the game, right? So that's kind of like, you know, there's some stuff like once you add an or an actual player to the game, they're locked to that spot, so you can't have an NPC in that slot or whatever. So there's some little things, but I also get some of that has to do with saving characters and characters leveling or whatever. So I'm, I'm fine with all that. All the stuff I had issues with, like I said, are all small, nitpicky cosmetic things. But visually, it's great. Story's awesome. There's, It even feels like when you're deciding how to interact with people, you have to make real decisions. On, okay, if I say this, it might upset this person. Or, hey, I can win the favor of these people, and then that might be important later or not. I don't know. The people in your party react to everything you say and do. 
So then your relationships with them become different. And you may, and you know, actually, do you, did you ever play the Wing Commander games back in the day? Uh, yeah, many, many moons ago. It gives me those vibes a little bit where you kind of make some decisions along the way and then it like determines if somebody's going to be a pilot for you or whatever because y'all don't have a good relationship anymore or whatever. So I feel like that thing, and that always felt good. Hell, I remember, I think it was Wing Commander 3 where your character has a little bit of a thing for one of the mechanics, but also for one of the pilots, but then they find out that you like each of them and whichever one you choose, you don't have the other one for the rest of the game, which is pretty rough. Yeah, so one of them's like a badass pilot. One's a badass mechanic that preps your ship for you before you go out. So it's like, oh, which one can you live without, right? But I feel like there's a lot of those decisions in the game, which are really cool. So good on them. And to this point, really no DLC. There's one bonus thing you can download right when you get into the game. It's like $9.99. And it literally gives you, I think, like an extra helmet, like a special cloak that does something, and like one other thing. But it's not like it breaks the game for you to have them. They're just cool add-ons and some nice little bonuses. So yeah, that's the only thing I've seen so far. It seems like everything's in the game, and apparently you can play for like 100 hours, and there's just like tons of stuff to do. So good on them. Now, the things I want to talk about, (laughs) these are kind of two different things. So the first issue is that there are some sexual situations in here to the point that if you look around online, there's people doing the sexy speed runs. To basically see how fast you can get into an encounter that you can have relations, we'll say. And apparently you can do that in eight minutes, according to some people. <laughs> like, so it's not that hard to find. Which I'm in a weird spot because part of me says, like, that's not really necessary to have in my game, you know? But I also get that. You're trying to do the somewhat pseudo realism of like, well, if these people are adventuring together and spending time around each other and they get to like each other, like, all right, I kind of get it. And to their credit, there were several warnings when you get into the game. I mean, like there's like a three layer warning system of like, hey, are you good with this? Are you of age? You know, are you okay seeing these things? Like, be aware there will be sexual situations. Do you want us to show you these or not? And you can actually hit a button so those don't do not appear. I left them on just for experiment's sake because we have a show and we do things and like I need to be able to talk about them. So I'm like, we'll see when they happen. I'm sick of this elf just for the podcast. I swear. No, the good news is my understanding is at least I haven't seen it yet and I haven't seen anybody mention it. So I'm assuming it's not the case. You don't see like full banging intercourse, whatever. Yeah. But, that would be like, I think an adult only. Yeah, writing, but know, there is, yeah. there is nudity and the implication of these things happening, right? Like you see like the initial contact and then, you know, you wake up in the morning or whatever. So, all right. Now it is a little weird that when I'm making my character, you give me the option to like, if I'm a dude, how big of a dingus I need. <laughs> <laughs> or something, how it looks, you know, uh, same thing with women. If how you, you want to, uh, shape your lady parts is a little, <laughs> little, little much. You know, I love how uncomfortable you sound, but you still, you know, you said you no, did. I'm, I'm trying to be at least somewhat cool for the people listening. If they don't yeah. want to hear derogatory stuff or whatever, but it's, it just seemed like unnecessary was all like, I, like, I mean, there's a lot of people who they want to go and oh, have I know. romances and, and, and totally. 
Some so people want to slay dragons, you know. Some people want to slay. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not hating. Obviously, game's still getting a ton of play. I think that they peaked at like damn near a million active users for the month or whatever, or like in an hour. Because so I think it got up to like nine hundred thousand or something. Like so, big numbers, right? There, people are playing. And honestly, you can tell a little bit that like when you're getting in and logging the game, like it eats a lot of power and there's a lot of activity going on on your machine. So uh, if you have a better machine that renders stuff, definitely if you don't, you might want to turn some of your settings down a little bit because it's got a lot going on. But even that, you know, I think like it's it's just it's oh to me, it's okay that it's there because they gave you a way out, right? If you didn't want to see it, it wasn't forced on you. They made sure to give you multiple opportunities to understand it was a thing. So nobody can be like, oh, my God, I can't believe they did. It's like they definitely told you <laughs> like there was no secrets that this was something you could encounter. And I would think if you really wanted to avoid it, you could make the decision tree that that's never a thing. You know what I mean? Like, so not bad. But I did see that some people had issues with. Cases of racism in the game. And I don't know how you feel about that being part of a game or not, Brian. I mean, it, it's a thing in the real world, so I'm okay with my games representing that. And see, that's kind of the, the boat I was in. You know, I, it's tough because people, it can tri- be triggering for people. And I understand that. So I'm, I'm not, I don't want to make light of that and say like people don't have the right to feel that this is wrong or whatever. But I mean, I'd I, say the overwhelming majority of wars have been fought basically because somebody was racist. <laughs> they just wanted either the land some other <laughs> some other group of people was sitting on or resources under the land or just would think they don't have a right to it. So, yeah, it's, just, it's almost I mean, you can do war without racism, but I don't know how accurate it is. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think a lot of times it starts about resources, but the way they motivate or activate their people is. The people on the other side of the border, you yeah. know, right? Like that becomes the narrative, right? Yeah. So, so I get that, and I think for me, that's sort of where it is, right? If you just said my character shows up and then a bunch of people just don't like them because they're a drow or whatever the case may be, that would feel a little weird. But if you made the story at least about, hey, there's a reason this person doesn't like your race or your background or whatever. Then I'm like, okay, at least it's justified. And again, it's That's a tough thing. Like, how many racists don't have? There, there's no tragic backstory. They just they, they hate a certain group of people because because sure. they don't like them. No, it's I sad, get that. But, but I'm saying within the state of a game, I think we could at least avoid just that level of just blatant racism, unless the goal is to make that person or group the villain. Right. You know I mean? Like if that's the goal of just like, hey, this person keeps hating on these people and we don't like that. And like now the other NPCs in the story or whatever is about eliminating that person. OK, cool. I get it. Or maybe that person, you know, fights along like do like Legolas and Gimli. You know, they fight alongside each other by the end of it. Like, oh, I guess I I guess I could <laughs> do this with an elf. You know? Well, see, and then and then that's where my next thing was going to come to. Right. Is there some historical reason that you're going to tell me that, hey, there was great wars between your clan and their clan or, you know, some drow in some point in the past raised the village and they've spent the last 30 years rebuilding it, you know, whatever. Okay, in those cases, I'm like, okay, now I get it, right? I'm not like that, but I get it. You have a reason, story-wise, 
And now this is just what I have to deal with as a character because this is what I've chosen. Right? I'm okay with that. As long as there's some explanation or reason or whatever. It doesn't bother me. But I did realize there were a lot of people this seems to have bothered. That's been I've seen a few different accounts talking about it over the last week. And I found it interesting because it's not... And again, everybody's going to be triggered by different things. So I'm not, again, not trying to make light of somebody's trauma or anything like that. I just found it surprising how much it bothered a lot of people. Now, it's not bad enough that, you know, people are calling for folks at Baldur's Gate to be fired or anything like that. It's just a conversation of people kind of sharing like, yeah, I don't know. This made me feel a little weirder. I don't know if I want to choose this type of character knowing that this is going to be a thing. But on the other hand, congratulations, you have learned how racism works. <laughs> right? But I, that's the other part of it, too, is I also kind of like that that's there. So people that may not have ever experienced that also have the opportunity to. Yeah. Right. Because there are a lot of people and we see it all the time that they'll tell you themselves, like, I've never just not been allowed to go into a place or nobody's exactly. looked at me funny or. Nobody said anything when I wanted to date somebody of a different race or whatever, whatever. Right. This is the time where like that happens and it's going to be jarring for some people. Yeah. You've never been told you can't do something because of your gender, you know? Yeah. And that's the thing. Apparently at some spots in the game, it's just like, oh yeah, you, you have to wait outside of town or whatever, because you're, you're of the wrong race or whatever. And that's going to feel a little weird to people and be like, I didn't even do anything yet. You know what I mean? Like, why are you just hating on me? Now, and then again, you find out the story reasons or whatever, but like you you still got to deal with that. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a tough subject. And I think for me, it kind of comes down to I don't want to be in a world, me personally, I'm not saying it's right or wrong for anybody else, but it's saying I personally do not want to be in a world where we never include these elements into parts of entertainment. Because I think there are still narratives and stories and perspectives to be told and shared by those existing. Just as long as we still put the underlying narrative of this is bad. Right? Let people else, you know, we're all just fighting over the MacGuffin and how many times have we seen that story? Yeah, that's exactly it, right? There's some things that are going to be uncomfortable to tell a story. But if we don't do those things, you're right. It's just... All right, we're trying to get the, I don't know, the Ark of the Covenant again this yeah. time or whatever it is. So, yeah, it's so far, I, I say I did not find and admittedly, I'm only a few hours into the game or whatever, but I haven't found anything that I would say is wrongly repulsive or anything like that. Like there, there's some things where they are pushing the limits a little bit, but there's at least justification for all the things. You know, even in the sexual relationship type stuff, you know, one of the characters and I'm going to be vague. So if anybody plays the game, I'm not giving away stuff. But one of the characters that's kind of gruff towards you at times, you can do things that just through the game of like, you know, killing bad guys and winning favor of people, whatever. They start going, hey, wait a minute, this person, I thought they were just a scrub, but. You know, they're, they're respectable. I'm kind of into this guy now or whatever, right? That starts to become a thing. But you can also just have that person keep treating you like trash because they're like, you're worthless. I had to save you in this combat and, you know, whatever. So I'm kind of okay with it, right? Because it's not like they're forcing the sexual thing. It's just like, okay, it makes sense that this could be a thing for these two characters. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting experiment. But so far, it seems to be working. 
and Baldur's Gate has made a giant pile of money. I believe at some point, like I said, they may have crossed 300 million already. Let me look up Baldur's Gate sales because I'm going to probably get the wrong number. But yeah, uh, well, they've already sold over, it says on Steam, 5.2 million copies. Okay. So they've made a pile of money because the downloads are $60. So they have definitely made over $300 million already. And that's if nobody downloaded the $10 thing or anything else, right? So that's pretty damn cool. And again, we were talking about this last week. Between Baldur's Gate and Diablo, piles of money being made right now for video games. So thumbs up to all of them, man. Which is sad, because DC Dual Force came out a couple weeks ago, and it's barely been a blip on the radar. Poor DC. <laughs> yeah, like, it's rough, man. If you, if you ain't one of the big titles, it's got it figured out. It is a rough time. But let's wrap up with a pretty interesting question here in the dinner table. And this is something we've kind of touched on a little bit before. But the question being posed is... And I guess I'll let you lead here. But do you think historically economic levels or backgrounds have played into the racial makeup of gaming communities? Absolutely. I mean, even, you know, the just the financial or you even free time sometimes is a thing that, that depending on what your economic status is, you may not have. You may have to go to work where while other people are playing magic or Baldur's gate or what have you, even, you know, what, what age you have to start working at is determined kind of by your financial status. Oh, you know, that it is a good point that you bring up there because I can say even through high school, there was a lot of things I didn't do. And I was working like two jobs, Yeah, you know, while also going to school and doing extracurriculars or whatever. So yeah, that's definitely a real thing. You know, I, I, we may have touched on this on the show before, too, that, you know, fighter games and video games have a lot more black players and whatever that you see during the tournaments talk about things versus something like some of these collectible games. And I think some of that's just, you know, again, a nature of resources, right? You can buy a 50 or $60 game and you just have that for the whole next year. While yeah, you're trying to you play tournaments, like, practice, you buy Street Fighter Six, you won't need to buy another Street Fighter for probably four or five years. Now, let's say to play Magic and stay consistent, sixty is not even close to the minimum investment. Yeah, if you're not willing to put in a couple hundred a year, if you're assuming you're trying to play competitively, you know, entry fees into tournaments for qualifiers, yeah. you know, stuff like that, you're just not going to be a thing. So it kind of does make sense, you know, that somebody's economic status can affect things. And I will say, as far as just like playing Magic, yeah, you can definitely still do that on budget, right? You can build a commander deck or a pioneer deck or whatever and just have your stuff forever. And, you know, even with the reprints, some of the prices of some cards have come down a bit. And, you know, that's all nice. But again, if you're trying to do it competitively, you're trying to travel, you're trying to do all this stuff, it becomes a lot more difficult. And... Video games are just an easier reach for people on a budget a lot of times. Hell, sometimes you can even split a game or a system or a console, or whatever, and then like go to your buddy's house and play. Yeah. You know, and you can still get practice in that way. You can't really just borrow somebody's magic deck because they need the deck too. 
you know, right? Like, so you have still at some point have to invest in two separate decks or whatever. So yeah, right, they'll tag each other in. I don't know. I mean, I've had to. Like, I know there definitely would be times if you, if you have a team. I guess like I know when I played Raw Deal, we kind of had a team. It's like, all right, what are you? What are you running? If you're not running, um, let's say Undertaker. Okay, can I borrow your Undertaker cards? Because I want to run Taker, but I don't have all some of these cards. Yeah, exactly. That that's a way you can get around it. I think I think the when you see it differently is if you can like Yu-Gi-Oh, I think is a good example. There's a large minority component to the Yu-Gi-Oh community, but I think that's also kind of attached to the anime element of it, right? That people grew up with exactly. Yu-Gi-Oh and had that interest. So they had other motivations to push into that game. Versus and by the way, you could see Yu-Gi-Oh on back then, you know, what was essentially free TV. You know, yeah, because yeah. it was on like WB or something or whatever. Yeah, whatever like your that. local WB, Fox, CW affiliate was. You didn't have to have cable to be exposed to Yu-Gi-Oh! Whereas now Magic, for example, Magic is is working on an animated project, but I, I don't know the status of that. Do you know any of the latest on the... No. Magic? Yeah, so it's, that's one of the ways that you, Yu-Gi-Oh! became a thing for just entire generations of players because hey it was the, the like transformers and gi joe before it the anime was essentially a 30 minute commercial for Yu-Gi-Oh. yeah i mean i tell people all the time when they laugh about you know kids being marketed to i said that's all we did mm-hmm. literally every saturday morning cartoon i can think of had some type of merchandise being sold in mass market and that's just the way it was but, you know, same thing with Yu-Gi-Oh! It's, in to some extent, Pokemon. But Pokemon's so vast that, like, you yeah. can kind of engage with Pokemon, whether you just want to buy plushies, you want to play the video games, you want to... Hell, you don't even have to play this right. You can play Pokemon Snap. You can play Pokemon Unite. You can play... You know what I mean? Like, there's a bunch of different ways to and interact with that. The anime series definitely functions as a 30-minute commercial for the entire Pokemon universe, be it card games, video games, as you said... Action figures, plushy, whatever. Hell, one of the things that still makes them a bunch of money is Pokemon Go. Right? That That's still a thing. So, yeah, it, it's definitely, while I do think it's economic status, I also think, you know, now that we're talking it through, like, exposure makes a big difference, too. And just accessibility on a lot of things. But, yeah, I, I have no doubt. I Economic levels definitely play a part in it. And we're starting to see some of that change a little bit. You know, you're seeing more minorities pick up games like Magic and other collectibles and stuff. But I think that's some of just that audience maturing, getting some of the better nerd community jobs, you know, whether that's developers, programmers, tech jobs of different kinds or whatever, and having that money to be able to spend now. And we've had people on on the podcast who are doing outreach programs where, hey, they'll take yeah. our donations and start their own, you know, little little play groups with kids. Hell, I've met people at conventions that have come up to me and said, like, hey, they're glad we're doing stuff because now when they're needing reference points for things or discussions, they're using the show for some of that. So, yeah, I mean, it, but you have to have those efforts get started yeah, and then have somebody lead the charge to get them into, like, underprivileged schools into local boys clubs and you know all that other type of stuff so yeah interesting question though and we had to we had to get past the era where people thought everything with the dragon on it was satanic even if i could afford to like i mean my cousin you know he was allowed to play with he-man but not skeletor because skeletor was a demon 
Dude, I don't know if I ever told this story on the show, but one of the first stores I went to to buy magic, there was a kid whose parents were very much like that. So he was allowed to buy magic, but he traded away all of his red and black cards before he left the store. So it that just way they only see the angels. And yeah, the it's not like the fire and the skulls and whatever. It's yeah. the tree folk and the like you're saying, the angels or whatever. So if he had that, he was cool. But in the other stuff, demonic and he couldn't have it. So that was always kind of a weird thing when I when I encounter stuff like that. Yeah. Once everybody they can find you on the social media machines. Right. I am Brian Sonic on uh, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. And you can find me just about everywhere at Power Dragon, P-O-W-R-D-R-A-G-N. And hopefully we'll be celebrating maybe by the time you listen to this, because I think I only need 30 more followers to hit 25,000 on YouTube. So that's actually pretty cool. But wherever you're listening, whenever you're listening, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Please remember to take care of yourselves and your family. Remember to be awesome. And most importantly, remember to be awesome to each other. If you'd like to further support Color of Magic, you can find us on our website at colorofmtg.com. We also have a Patreon if you'd like to donate. Other patreon.com slash colorofmagic. You can also find us on Facebook under Color of Magic. And if you want to follow us along at Twitter, you can find us there at Color of MTG. And as always, please share the podcast around to your friends, your network, people you think might enjoy it, because every little bit helps as we're trying to increase our user base. 